Morning, church. My name is Pastor Scott. Super excited to start this new series with you called Now Arriving for Advent 2018. This is a series on the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet that was able to see what the birth of Christ would change, and that was everything. Isaiah was this visionary that got glimpses of the future promise of Christ. And through the glimpses of who Jesus is, he was able to paint a picture of what our lives might become. In the book of John, John talked about Isaiah. He said, Isaiah said these things because Isaiah saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. And so, Advent 2018, a study of Isaiah, is a study about joy and transformation and promise about how the arrival of Jesus changes our lives both today and in the future. Let me pray and we'll begin. Lord God, thank you so much for this morning and for your scriptures. And we pray, God, that the old story would become new again. Teach us in the month ahead how, God, your son, Christ, changed the human history and changes our life each and every day that unfolds. Teach us to be less and less anxious and less and less fearful and more and more faithful and that the joy would flow from your presence. And all God's people said, amen. Our uh, sermon title today is called Strength and Weakness. Um, As we talk about the now arriving theme, because some arrivals change everything. Some arrivals change everything. I've told this story before, but if you're a visitor, you may uh, be worried to know that the man speaking to you before you was actually uh, borderline homeless. I lived in a van for six months driving around America. I had studied American travel literature in college, so I bought a Volkswagen van and I drove through the lower 48 states. And it was a time by day of a lot of discovery and a lot of anxiety by evening. By day, the map would be unfolded, where do I want to go? But in the evening, the loneliness would set in because I was alone in the van around America. And I had fallen in love with this young woman a couple months before leaving, and she was finishing school in Spokane, and this is in 1997, way back when, a few of us remember it, pre-cell phones, and so we would make little, there's these things called dictaphones, little recorders, we would make tape uh, tape recordings of our voice, of what, like you were talking to somebody, and it's amazing we weren't locked up at, during this time. And we would just speak into these recorders hours and hours and hours, and then we would mail this little dictaphone tape across the country. I was in the van driving east around America. This girl who I'd fallen in love with, Heather, was back in Spokane finishing school. We'd be mailing tapes back and forth. Once a week, we would spring the big money, about 15 cents a minute, and we would talk on a payphone. All right, this is way back when. But like the evenings were lonely, but I couldn't wait to see her again. We were young and in love, and it was, you know, we were growing emotionally and spiritually as we would pray for one another on the phone, as we would make these tapes. But we just wanted to be around each other because you can know about something, but if you're not actually in contact with somebody, you can feel really, really alone. So I'm driving east. She makes a plan to meet me in South Carolina for Thanksgiving. And though I knew it was coming, the arrival changed everything because there was so much joy. She got off the plane. There was so much joy. 1997. I look the same, right? Tell me I do. Like, no? No? Okay, thank you for that. The reality is, like, some arrivals change everything. And and the fact of the matter is, when she was at the airport... I'm never early to anything. I was there probably two hours early because I couldn't wait for the presence. Like, could you imagine if she get to the airport in South Carolina, like, you know, the van's a little dirty. I'm going to take a couple hours. I'll meet you later. Hey, you know, it's, 
It's been a long time since we see each other. So you hang out at the airport. I'm going to go get some girls. I'll see you in a couple hours. No. Like when she showed up, I needed to be there. And even though it was just a week in our lives, like God was doing things even in that week to submit our future relationship. And now, 20-some years later, like intimacy, not perfection, but joy, all shaped by an arrival. And some arrivals change everything. That's the theme of our series, now arriving. As we look at the testimony of Isaiah about Jesus Christ, we're, we're just mindful that the arrival of Christ changed everything in the course of human history. Think about our calendars. Christ's birth literally changed the way we kept time before Christ and after death. For equality, before Jesus in the midst of the Roman Empire, you had value by your skin color or by your rank in the Roman Empire, not in the new rule of Jesus. For after Jesus, neither male nor female, slave nor free, you are all one in Christ. For science, the church empowered the study of science. There's this great book, Rodney Stark, about the glory of God, called For the Glory of God, that modern science born out of a Christian faith, not in opposition to it. From Galileo to Pascal, many of the leading scientists in the past and present are people of faith. They knew that God created something beautiful in nature and they wanted to understand it. How about art? It was the church and their love of Jesus that commissioned many, if not most, of the great artistic endeavors in the history of humanity. How about faith? Before Jesus, we had religion and rules, but with the advent of Christ, we learned what real faith is. Faith that led to changed lives because of encounter, caring for others, ministering to the sick, starting missions and hospitals and schools, sharing the good news, all changed because of the arrival of Christ. And us... Like this little church, Bethany, that 100 years ago, a bunch of people said because of who Jesus is, we're going to try to love people in our community and started an outreach in Ballard to Native Americans 100 years ago. Eight years ago, a group of pioneers that came to the North King County said, let's start a church. Five years ago, they took a former strip club, the Sugar Strip Club, the darkest spot in North King County, littered with needles from people that are shooting up, a a home to prostitution. That's where this church rented to turn into a coffee shop and offices, all because of Christ's arrival. So now arriving is the best life because of who Jesus is. And Jesus changed the past, certainly he's changed the future, but what this series is about is he can change you too. May our lives be different because of who Jesus is. That's what we're talking about this Advent, the best life in Christ. Who Jesus is shapes who we are and who we're becoming. And so our big idea this morning is in your bulletin there that Christ's arrival changes our dead places, our weaknesses, our addictions to fear as we fully grasp The crown of joy now arriving as we come to Jesus. He will come to save us. Isaiah 35 is the focus this morning. Let's look first at the first seven verses of Isaiah 35. He just had it read for you very beautifully. God made a way. If you look at your Bible, Isaiah 35, God made a way. The first three verses of Isaiah 35, the desert and the parched land will be glad. There's personification. Our students will tell you this. I used to teach high school English. Personification, something inanimate, given a human quality. And he's saying those dead places around you, O Israel, will bloom in life. This is Israel in bloom. But they, they were in a season where everything was barren. 
Where conquerors were standing at the door, Isaiah was written to people partially in exile, partially like everything that was good in their life had been taken from them by foreign armies. And God has the audacity to say, those barren places in you will bloom. And he says in verse 3, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. He's saying when God comes to the birth of Christ, he erases the fear that dictates our lives. I don't know if, if you've ever been so scared that your knees give way. You ever experienced that? I had that happen only once in my life. My buddy and I were taking a boat down the Bogusheel River at flood stage because I had this great idea to take a drift boat down a river at flood stage. We were fishing, but the fishing was really poor. I was going actually to spread ashes of, of my late uncle. And typically when you get to where you put the boat into the Bogusheel River up by Forks, there's 20, 30 trucks and trailers. Like everyone's there to go down the river. Not this day. The, the parking lot's empty. All right. Just kind of pay attention. If you're ever going boating and the parking lot's empty, just like do a check. Is it safe today? I don't know. So we, hey, what could possibly go wrong? It's only us here. We had no idea how to row a drift boat on the Bogusheel River, let alone at flood stage. So we put the boat in and it's a tricky boat launch. You literally have to put in and there's no motor in a drift boat. It's all by your power. It's all by your oars. And if you know what you're doing, it's not a big deal. Dig the oars in, bring the boat across the river where it can glide safely around a very dangerous corner. But if you don't know what you're doing, i.e. me, you can get caught in brush. And if your oars aren't digging, the river will push you and can capsize you and people die on rivers. There's so much power in a river. We put in and immediately the fear incapacitates me instead of these big, you know, in my mind, these big strong strokes and I'm guiding my buddy down the river. I'm like, ah! You know, screaming and beating the water. And he's like, dude, chill out. All right, you're going to kill us. And he's literally talking me like I'm, you know, talking me off the ledge. And the more fear I felt, the less effective my rowing was. So we, he talked and I took a deep breath and we literally for a moment thought we were kind of going to flip and then we were able to get the boat out in the current and we passed through a dangerous spot onto the shore. We, I said, I just need to get out. We get out and literally stepped onto the riverbank and my knees gave way because my heart was beating so fast. And so Isaiah says, there's things inside of you that have to be strengthened. The fear that's controlling you. The inner voice that says, yeah, be anxious and be fearful for whatever the narrative of fear is about your relationships, about your money, about school, about your future, about somebody that you love. In our hearts, if we're not careful, we can become almost addicted to this constant sense of fear. And the prophet says, strengthen them, their hands and their knees, because God does not come in fear. We need to remember through Isaiah 35, we don't have to be in fear anymore. Because when we are choosing to constantly be anxious, and you're like, Scott, it's not a choice. It's my daily reality. But the choice in Isaiah 35 is to believe that God wants to strengthen you. Because the anxiety and the fear, which is a constant narrative in our society, God says, I seek to overcome it. How do we, how do we remember that we're going to be okay? We remind ourselves, through God, I'm going to be okay. Verse 4, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. I'm going to pause right there, even though verse 4, we're kind of breaking in half. It's really, really important to know that the absence of fear isn't trying harder, a la me in the boat trying harder and harder to get the oars to dig in, but it's a claiming of power through the presence of God. 
And so when you're anxious, and you will be, when you're fearful, when you feel beat down, trust not your strength, but God's. Do not fear, God says, I am with you. And here, the writer Isaiah is, is remembering back that God has always been good to his people. Remember Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you, says God, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I love this because it's not a, hey, if you don't want to, you don't have to. It's a command. God says there's strength and there's courage not fear. Do not be discouraged. It's a reality, God says. I understand it's a reality, but know that your strength will come not from your efforts, but by my presence. God will be with you wherever you go. And so when anxious, God, remind me of your presence. When fearful, God, remind me of your presence. When fighting with somebody you love, God, remind me of your presence. This is something that we have to remember again and again and again that God has made a way for us. And and then we we kind of step into this. God, you've made a way. I'm trying not to be fearful, fearful, but the the good defense is a strong offense. How do I have more of the presence of God? A couple of simple ways. One is the church. This is why worship still matters. The gathered body. Because all of a sudden you go from places of fear to hearing other people speak about loving uh, immigrants into our country and worshiping God and seeing beautiful lights and remembering, oh yeah, God, you're doing something so much bigger than the fearful narrative in my ears. You need church, you need community, you need friends that will care for you and walk with you when life feels very fearful and you need prayer Get on your knees and cry out to God. God, remind me in this season of fear that you are with me. Because this is this beautiful message from Isaiah 35. God did not come all this way to just leave you as you were. God loves you too much to leave you stuck in fear. God didn't come through the presence of Christ to say, and stay addicted, it's all good, I love you, good luck out there. No, Jesus came to save us, which means that our life will be lived differently in response to his coming. Now arriving means my life will start to look and feel different. Look at the second part of verse 4. It's really interesting. Say to those with fear, be strong, do not fear. God will come. Again, it's presence where our power comes from. And then look at the second part of verse 4. He'll come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Now, this is where our English kind of fails compared to the original Hebrew because we have translated here in the NIV vengeance and divine retribution. But what the actual Hebrew word is this word gamel, gamel, divine, you know, God comes with vengeance. And it does mean that God comes back with strength to save us. But in Hebrew, one word can mean like 20 different things. And there's a, there's a deeper, richer articulation of this word. It says God will come to, to recompense you to repay you, to wean you, to wean, like a mother weans a nursing child. This is the same word, gamul, means to grow in maturity. That God didn't just come to, to heal you and to leave you as an infant so that you would constantly be stuck, addicted, broken, fearful, hopeless. No, God came in order to wean us, to grow us, to change us. And so when we come to the text and we can name our hurts, we can name our fears, we can name the places of insecurity, that's the beginning of seizing the power that God says, I want to deliver you from those places where you've been stuck. How did he do that? 
through Christ. Because all of these things in Isaiah 35, to the, to the blind and to the deaf and to the lame and to the, the ones that can't hear, and all of it was accomplished in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. The desert places of Isaiah 35. Remember when Jesus came and spoke to the woman at the well? He says, I will bring in you wells of living water. For, for the blind, did Jesus have anything? Oh yeah, remember blind Bartimaeus says, Jesus, I want to see. And Jesus healed him. He didn't just look at him and say, I'm sorry, good luck out there. You're going to do great. No, he says, I want to change you. That's the now arriving power of Christ. How about deaf? Uh, do you remember Mark 7 where Jesus literally put his fingers in the ear of a deaf man? Jesus has no respect for our personal boundaries. Because the thing is, he wants to encounter us. He wants to move us and transform us. And, and the lame, there's a lame person in, in 35. Remember in, in John 5, Jesus heals a man and the man starts to testify. I was lame, Jesus touched me, and now I'm changed. And actually the longest testimony of who Jesus was in the book of John was this lame man. And the Pharisees came to him and said, you know, what happened? And why did Jesus do this on the Sabbath? And, and the man said, all I know is that I, I was lame and now I'm healed. And I want to just say to you, church, some of you in this room are going through great battles right now, emotionally, spiritually, people that you love, things going on in the world, things going on in North King, South Snohomish County. It's not right by the way of Jesus. And Jesus wants to encounter the hurt and heal people because it is the, the testimonies always forged by the tests that we endure. And so I know this firsthand. I've been a... a, a experienced grief and loss. I've sat at the table of mourners and the people that have been through the roughest stuff have the biggest testimonies. You heard Allison talking about bringing the refugee family from Afghanistan into their home. It was really hard. And now I'm on stage with a microphone in my hand. You know, I don't know what you're going through, but Jesus is with you. God has made a way and he longs to change you for his glory. Everything that we face can be an example of his glory in us. Last week, there was a group confession as, as Raul preached on Romans 9, 10, 11. And in mass, people responded about writing out places of brokenness. Half of those responses, as, as Raul looked through them, were about like personal failing, cheating on someone or something, or being addicted to, to something unhealthy. And half of them were internal battles of fear and of pride. And so whatever battle you're facing, part of the, the power that God wants to give you is to name the places that hurt, the tests that you're enduring, and name Jesus' power into those gaps. We identify step one, identify places you're longing for Christ's arrival to change you. Step two, pray for God's power to come upon you in the spirit. Don't just stay stuck. God, this thing that I'm facing, I know it's no big deal. No, God says, it is a big deal. The stuff that's making you blind and deaf and lame, it's stealing your joy. It's locking you up. God says, I want to free you up. And so name it and then pray God's spirit of power over it. And then here's a challenge I want to give you, church. Do not pray alone. Way too many families in this church aren't praying with their kids every night. Way too many friends that are both Christians aren't praying for each other in the course of a week of like, hey, what are you going through? Let's pray together. Way too many marriages are spiritually empty 
You need to be praying for one another because where two or more are gathered, Jesus says, that's where my power starts to show up. And as I confess my sin and we pray together, you start to see what God's changing me of. This is where the power comes from. And so sometimes when we just stick all inwardly on what we're facing, God says, you're missing a chance to bless other people, even in the tests you're currently enduring. So identify places that hurt and pray for God's power. Because as you start to pray for God to reveal to you what's now arriving in Christ, that's where the power is. So it's good, right? Isaiah 35. By the end, strengthened, steady, God will come. Eyes opened, ears opened. It's done. Sweet. Check. Advent 18. Nailed it. Why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? Like this was... Isaiah was, was saying that when Jesus came, these things would happen. I've just said to you, Jesus did come, these things happen. Why is it still so hard in us, in our lives? Why do we feel many of us stuck in place of anxiety and fear? Because many, many, many of us are still waiting for God to do something else. Do something else, God. Because once you bring this relationship or help me get through this hard time at school or, you know, fix my marriage or bring a marriage, like we name the need and we're waiting for God to be faithful in that next thing. And God says, stop obsessing about what's next and live what's now. I came so that you would have freedom and that in each battle you face, God says, do not be addicted to fear. I want to deliver you from it. And as you're delivered from it, even the very long battles, there's power there. Stop waiting For me to do something else, I've given you my son in Christ. Seize what's available in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you in Jesus' name. There's real power there. So when you're anxious, when you're fearful, when, like, I want to name Jesus, please. I know it's already there for me to take hold of this now arriving promise. Give me that hope. We wake our kids up really early in our house. Because our evenings are pretty busy with sports and theater and stuff, right? So we, on many mornings of the week, we just say, if we could just start together, we've got a good basis for the day. So we get them up early, we have breakfast, we do a little Bible study. i gotta, I got to be blunt with you. More times than not, it's not like, hey, awesome, Dad. we got 20 minutes less sleep and you did a Bible study? Fantastic. Dad of the year, you are nailing it. Like, that's not what it often is in the morning, but... We're doing it, right? Because we're trying to live out our values. God came for us. We're trying to live out our values. Well, we've got this one morning. Sorry, I'm having a microphone. There we go. We're at this one morning, this last week. I'll let the kids sleep a little bit because I know what my kids need. I've thought about like how long it takes to get to school and, and breakfast. I know what they need. And I knew that my youngest, I knew she needed a little more sleep. And it was, we were able to kind of move some things around that morning, so I let him get an extra 20 minutes of sleep. But when I woke her up, boy, hell has no fury like an eight-year-old on fire. You know, there was stomping of feet. There was shutting of doors. Was, she said, I don't have the time I need. I said, honey, no, I know that the previous schedule was like you'd be late, but the schedule's good. I just gave you a little extra sleep. She's stomping and snorting and snuffing, and we're having this big to-do. And, you know, I'm having the very pastor, honey, be patient. I'm like, no, I'm losing my mind too. And it's conflict in the home, you know, and I keep just like, she's going to be okay. She's going to be okay. She keeps thinking that she doesn't have the time and it's, it's spinning her out in fear and anxiety. And we get about halfway through breakfast and she recognizes there's still 30 minutes till the bus comes. We're good. And she's like, oh, I guess I had all the time I needed. 
Now, here's the thing, church. So many of us, we're convinced we don't have what we need. We need more time. We need more money. We need a different relationship. We need more of God's spirit. Like, we're naming the gaps. And God said, I already came for you. There's power available through my spirit. Will you seize what you already have? Your father is in control. He's made a way for us. We're going to keep hitting on that theme all month long. He's, he's made a way from us. But look at the response, that we have a way to approach him. This is the point from Isaiah, that God will make a way for us to approach him. Look at verses 8, 9, and 10 of Isaiah 35. Verse 8, the, the way back to Christ, is a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go on about it. Some of you have wicked fools, life. Well, I'm glad Jerry from accounting will not be on the new highway. Some of you, you know, Brian in algebra, he's, he's a wicked fool. No, this is an invitation. The highway will be there. We call the way of holiness for those who walk on the way. We're invited to encounter God and travel towards him. In Judea, into the east and to the south, what a road would look like is about like this. This is Israel. These were ancient roads, and there was no such thing as a straight way anywhere. And the roads, because of the twists and turns, they always brought fear, because robbers would hide in the corners, and and animals and beasts. So to travel somewhere in ancient Israel was always this scary thing. But what the promise is, is through the Messiah comes, he'll make a straight way. Those things that feel dangerous to you in Christ, God is trying to make a way back to you for you to travel back to him. God wants to encounter you, not to leave you unchanged, but to change your life again and again and again. And he wants to be worshipped in your life. Is anybody hearing me this morning? He wants to be worshipped. He wants to be praised. He wants his spirit to be lived in your home. He wants a highway to flow for his name to be lifted high. Can you hear it this morning? We're not playing religion. The faith in Jesus, he made a way for me, for me to travel back to him so that my life would be lived different, not perfectly, but that I would be changed. God made a way for me to worship him. We can praise God more because of who Jesus is. Verse 9, Isaiah 35, no lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Who will walk there? The redeemed will. Well, you must have a somebody else. You're preaching to the wrong church because I'm looking out here and all I see is, ah, there you are. The redeemed the, the redeemed because who Jesus has made you to be. Psalm 126, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When we speak our story, God gets the honor and the glory. We have been redeemed. So when we say, Jesus, I want to follow you, will you make a way for me to worship you? The way is redeeming us. And as we travel back to him in worship and adoration, the way is growing in us. We're the redeemed, though so much voices in our head are keeping us enslaved in places of fear. We've been redeemed. Anybody in this day and age can be a a victim of hate and fear and isolation, and Jesus is calling us to worship him. It's what I love about the Good Neighbor team. We're not, hey, who wants to talk politics? I don't. Who wants to love people that are the marginalized in our society? These people did. 
So I don't know what God's calling you to do, but know that there is a way to worship him. There is a way that's growing in you, and God wants to be honored as you walk to him, walk with him. As I was studying this week, there is this this commentator that was saying about, you know, God's glory and, and, and likening it to, to the Queen of England. And if you got invited to be in front of the Queen of England, wouldn't you, wouldn't you clean yourself up to go sit in front of the Queen of England? Wouldn't you put on your nicest outfit? Wouldn't you make yourself ready for the presence of the Queen of England? In the same way, the commentator is saying, make yourself ready for the glory of the Lord. Make yourself ready. Make yourself ready. And I thought, that's a load of crap. We don't make ourselves anything. We're recipients of a redemption that we didn't earn. And so when we say, yes, Jesus, grow my faith, I'm not making myself anything. I'm just traveling back to him, this way back. What's the gift of the way? Look at verse 10. What's the gift? When we walk like that, when we walk towards him, it brings joy and gladness. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Some of us have been on really hard roads this year. It's been a hard year. Been a twisty road. Lots of jackals and Brian from accounting and Steve from algebra. Like I don't know what, what enemies are like in your life. But what God is calling you to, beckoning you to, he made a way for more gladness and joy. And look at this word overtake. Like, like it's going to be a process. So God, as I walk towards you, Will you overtake more of my fear and anxiety and bring more of your joy and your presence? The sighing will flee away. It's a promise as we step closer and closer and closer to God through Jesus. As we come and worship and we come and be healed, we come through Jesus. Look what Jesus says about himself in John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Fear is not the way God speaks to us. You believe in God, believe also in me, says Jesus. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me. That you may be where I am. It's so beautiful. You know the way. And Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you do see him. And so may you be encouraged that Jesus made a way for you to to walk towards him. There is a highway available in three simple ways this season. I want more of Jesus in my life. How am I going to do it? Number one, maybe by serving. Because as you're serving others, you're taking the focus off yourself and you're shining the light of Jesus on other people. Good neighbor team, giving tree, Stephen's ministry opportunities. We just did the coat drive. Find a way to be a blessing and say, God, maybe I'll feel a little bit less fear as I love others. We we, we walk in the highway when we serve others. We walk in the highway, secondly, when we confess sin to each other. When you pray for one another, you're just naming your brokenness. And, I, you know, I failed this week or I'm struggling with this thing or that thing. Name your, your sins, confess it so that God can heal you. And finally, we get to walk this way through worship. When we get on our face and we pursue what we love and we remember that even in the midst of this busiest season, Jesus, more of you in my life, more of you, more of you. This is what the way looks like. More and more and more and more, Jesus, on the walk. I have this friend. His mom died. I said, I don't, I don't know what to do, but do you want to just, you just want to walk? 
just want to walk together. And so we would meet at his house, and we would just walk around the neighborhood. Man, tell me about it. Tell me about what hurts. Sometimes we'd pray. Most of the time we would just talk. An amazing thing happened on this way of faith, our morning walks, is I realized that I wasn't the healer in his life. No way. He's one of my truest and best friends. Because as he was telling me his stuff, I started telling my stuff. And we started to challenge and encourage one another over and over and over again. This is the walk of faith. And nobody does the walk alone. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Jesus says, do not forget, you will never walk alone. If you come to me in faith, I am always with you. I'm always with you. And so for the lonely ones in the room right now, will you be reminded you do not walk alone? For the anxious ones, will you spell out the fear that you've been addicted to and claim for more and more Jesus in your life? May we be a church that touches into the joy and the gladness of the Lord at this crazy time of year because of who Jesus is, that he would get glory in our journeys. He made a way for us. And we get a chance each and every day to walk towards him. Walk and do not grow tired. For God's longing to build in you an endurance of faith for his glory. Let me say a prayer over us now. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning and the promise that you are walking with us. That you did come for us. And that there is much to worry about. There's many places of sin and brokenness in the world. God, you're longing to, to take dead things in our life and bring them to life. So God, give us the courage to worship you. Give us the courage to name places of brokenness and confess it one to another. Lord, give us the courage to step out and serve others in your name that, God, you would be receiving the glory. God, we know in this season more than any others that people are hungry for your truth. And so give us the audacity to invite people into the journey with us, to to see the hurt of our neighbors and friends and family and, and walk with them. And invite them into church, invite them to Christmas Eve services, to to bring them on a Sunday, that we would worship God together in how we walk to you. Lord God, make us a witnessing church with a testimony that it hasn't been easy, but God, that you're redeeming us for your glory. Change us, we beg and we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Will you stand with me as we close in communion? We'll have communion stations on the side and down front. We'll move through the room in a clockwise fashion. All of the bread is gluten-free. We take it in tinction style, take a piece of the bread, dip it in the juice. We do this to celebrate the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. He gathered with his friends and he said, this is my body broken for you. And he broke a loaf of bread and passed it around. And then he took a cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. It's got to be new for forgiveness of sins. Come and drink, all of you. And so when you approach this table, you're taking steps of faith. You're being changed. You're naming brokenness. You're saying, I don't want to be stuck anymore. I don't want to be scared anymore. I want to worship you, God. How do we do it? You come to the table because the gift is a free gift of new life for his glory. Is anybody in? Is anybody in? If you want new life, the table is open for you. Let's close in song and communion.